Sorry, switching to a gallery view. I don't like the like spotlight view. Um, okay, Allison, if you're listening on the cutting room floor, here we go. Keep it. <laughs> you are going to vote tomorrow in the election. The millennial generation is the biggest, America's youngest biggest, biggest generation. Since 1965. The political revolution of the millennial. Welcome to political, political playlist. playlist. <laughs> All right, are we ready, guys? Happy hour. Happy, Happy hour. hour. <laughs> Welcome to Political Playlist Happy Hour. I'm Michael Kristoff. I'm Anna Muskie-Goldwyn. And I'm Anthony Barquette. And we're here, drinks in hand, to discuss the next generation of congressional leaders under the age of 45 who sadly make up only 14% of Congress, which is crazy. So we're here to talk about the left, right, and everything in between. And we hope you'll walk away one bit smarter. Uh, hey, guys. What are we drinking and how are we feeling this week? Uh, I'm drinking a drink that I feel like a college student would make because I'm so limited <laughs> on nice. my, on my beverage offer, options. Um, I have a, a tiny bit of vodka with one of these like, like soda, like a black cherry soda, like something you would buy at Whole Foods. I love how you had to qualify the amount of vodka that was in your drink. I, I mean, yeah. Look, was, but I, I have a very pretty glass. I'm do you, do you <clears throat> count your boyfriend's drinks? You're like, oh, um, that's your second. Uh, you can ask him and he'll probably say <laughs> I do. I'm going to text him right now. And uh, then we'll circle back to the response. Billy, if you're listening, I'm sorry, but it's for our own good. Well, I'm drinking an espresso martini. Mostly coffee is in it. I'll say I needed that extra dose of caffeine today. But um, anyways, let's talk about politics, guys. Right. You know? Michael, what are you drinking? Uh, I have just a good old fashioned margarita. Ooh. Yeah. Nice. Feeling a little festive today. Michael. That I don't know. Um, well, we obviously have a lot going on here and uh we love to start off these podcasts by setting up the big question of the week, which is coming in our newsletter, which will be hitting your inboxes by the time you're hearing this. And really what we wanted to tackle this week was we actually wanted to sort of focus on two individual uh, leaders on our platform, one from the right, one from the left. And they are both moderates of their party. And we wanted to focus on them because this relates to the big question that we are going to pose to you, which is, do you know what shade of your party you are? You know, it's not new that there are nuances within each party, but I think one of the biggest gripes that we have with just mainstream media and the political conversation in general right now is that everything is painted as black and white. Everything is painted as you're either red or you're blue, and you're all in on one of those two options, and there's no middle ground. There's nothing in between. There's no degree of blue. There's no degree of red. And so maybe we Andrew kind of, Yang coming out. Who knows? Who knows? New party. Well, breaking Sorry, news, new party. right? <laughs> yeah, breaking news. Yeah. Now with the new party today. So we want to ask you, what shade of your party are you, and where do you think the conversation is going to go with respect to people finally 
starting to look and accept nuance or are we just going to keep shouting for our team uh, full blast? Are we going to 11 or can we dial this back and find some, find some gray? Like so many metaphors. Yeah. (laughs) It's really like if you're cutting a line. Oh my God. All right. We're over the metaphors now. Um, I'm we'll just we'll gonna, cut that out in post. Don't so worry. we're going to talk about Stephanie Murphy, who's a Democrat from Florida and Anthony Gonzalez, who's a Republican from Ohio. And like you said, both of them are moderates in their party. And there's a couple of things that are happening, which is why we picked these two. So on the right, Anthony announced um, this past week that he will not be seeking reelection. He was one of the Republicans who voted to impeach Trump earlier this year and has faced a lot of backlash ever since that happened, unsurprisingly. And in his statement, he mainly cited, you know, caring for his family and spending more time with his wife and his kids. But um, he did also say that the state of his party weighed into his decision to not run again. So that's sort of what's happening with him. What's happening with Stephanie Murphy is that she is one of the moderate Democrats who has come out and said that she will not vote for the Democratic infrastructure package, which is the $3.5 trillion package that uh, is called the Build Back Better Act, which Biden is pushing and especially progressive Democrats are really hammering in on on and driving up the price tag of this infrastructure legislation. So she has said that as it is right now, she would not vote for it, um, which obviously is going to be very unpopular with a lot of further left members of her party. And so what's interesting about these two is that, you know, they both have very interesting backgrounds. Stephanie was a refugee from Vietnam, fleeing communist Vietnam and coming here with her parents and was saved by the U.S. Navy when like in the middle of the ocean. Anthony is this ex-NFL player who has this very sort of interesting background um, in making grandson his way of to Cuban pop. refugees. Yeah, grandson of Cuban refugees. So they both sort of have these really interesting family histories that they and bringing that perspective to their own political beliefs. But what I think this exposes is that you have two people who, by the way, most of you listening, probably unless they're on your playlist, are not aware of who Stephanie and Anthony are. I don't think that these are people that you would consider like superstars of each party. Um, So what this kind of boils down to is you might be hardcore blue which is great. You might be more of the like whitewashed denim blue, which is also great. You might be hardcore red, which is great. You might be a little more in the like salmon category, which is also great, but you don't get salmon. That's good. Is that right? It's good for the East East coaster. Yeah. 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 Salmon colored shorts for sure. Yeah. That's good. We've got Nantucket red. We've got salmon. We've got fire engine. Sure. Mm-hmm. Got a crew. But I think that what. Yeah, so I'd like to hear Anna finish uh, this long winded summary of what shade of color we all are. Here. Oh my God. Let's, let's keep going, Anna. No, this is all just to say that you don't, by the time you get to the general election or the, you know, the, the midterm, the main midterm election, you don't get to pick who is representing your party in that election. The only time you get to decide what shade you want your representative to be of that color is in your primary. And so our sort of public service announcement this week is to look up when your primary is and make sure that as we prepare for the 2022 midterms, 
you're not just focusing on election day, but you're focusing on the primary day as well. And this is actually one of my, uh, I really love this question that we're asking because the primaries really don't start until March of next year. And then they are all back to back through June or, or, I mean, throughout the whole year after that. But I think what's really interesting here is I'm getting tons of emails from both sides about people in primaries in different states. And there's, you know, five plus candidates in multiple, in multiple of these races. So it's a good time for everyone to start educating themselves. I will say the unfortunate thing, Anthony Gonzalez is one of my top five on the Republican side. Very and you interviewed him. And I interviewed him. Yeah. Um, honestly, I think more politicians need to be like Anthony Gonzalez on both sides of the aisle. So I'm really sad to see that he's going. I'm sure, honestly, though, he's probably going, why am I dealing with this? I could go make a ton of money on the private side. And, um, but, you know, that's just unfortunate. I, you know, talking about shades of color here, I think we're going the bluest you can go and the darkest red you can go. Yeah, blood and I red. Don't, yeah, and I don't yes. think that's great for the country. I'm actually quite nervous about that. Um, and what we saw in the last election was, a lot of moderate uh, Democrats lost to mm -hmm. moderate Republicans. And I think now we're going to see a lot of those uh, moderate Republicans maybe even go uh, further right uh, Republicans. In a like lot well, of they'll lose their primary to they'll lose their primary. Yeah. And, you know, it's so funny you bring that up because somebody who um, his his uh, the, the summary this week uh the, the new stuff that stood out to me uh, with this guy, uh, David Valadeo, mm. who's a congressman in California, um, previously was, you know, he's, he's, this is his first term in Congress. But Very, he was a congressman before. Before, that's yeah, right, yeah, that's yeah. right. Sorry, so this, yeah, he's, yeah, back in his back in. second non-consecutive He term. was one of those Republicans that beat a moderate Democrat. Right, right, yeah. but I had always sort of, felt like the rhetoric from him was much more moderate Republican. And I've noticed lately that he has definitely started to shade way more to the right and, and way more partisan in his rhetoric. Just before I move on, that made me think, I wonder if it also has to do with the fact that, you know, even though Biden is introducing like this $3.5 million, trillion, million, oh, pennies, yeah. trillion <laughs> dollar, only. um, package like Biden is a moderate right that's like what he ran on that's what he has been historically in his whole career so I wonder if there's also something to it where moderate Democrats still have sort of the backing of mm -hmm. the executive branch in most of their beliefs so they can stick to the values that they've run on as moderates whereas I think for moderate Republicans it's getting increasingly harder because the sort of moderate backing of the Republican Party has basically disappeared I mean you have George W. Bush going and campaigning for Liz Cheney and I can't believe that we would even consider Liz Cheney a moderate at this point but we kind of no, do well. yeah but so like there's no ever since Trump there's no one in the Republican Party that sort of has the backs of moderate Republicans, whereas I think moderate Democrats still kind of have that support, which maybe is sort of playing into why someone like David Valadeo has to change his rhetoric a little bit in order to, to get, you know, get notoriety and, and not be. Primary. Well, he's from the central Valley, which is very, very far right. 
yeah. California. Um, also, I just want to bring up a point. 3.5 million is probably the cost of the paper to print yeah. out, <laughs> you know, what this $3.5 trillion package is. And the, I'm going to throw in the staples with it as well. Yeah. But, I'll take, I'll take the paper and the staples. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's no, but, but that's true. I mean, we're seeing uh, Trumpism looks like it's winning right yeah. now. Um, I mean, I just saw a poll that even said that Trump uh, is better favored than Biden is right now. I know these people aren't on our platform, but it's worth wow. mentioning regarding what our midterms are going to look like. Yeah, so, yeah that's wild. Yeah. Wow. I mean, a lot of what people- What poll is you that, know, Anthony? Yeah. Uh, have, I can't reveal data? my sources. I can't <laughs> Sources uh, yes. his gut sources. feeling. <laughs> we have an internal polar. He's <laughs> called Anthony's gut and <laughs> he shoots from the hip, but he's- Never wrong. Well, I think never, the takeaway here wrong. is that uh, everybody should figure out for themselves what shade of their party they are, and they should then really focus on their primary because it does matter. And speaking of focus, let's segue to our next section, the riff. Currently, there are 14,000 plus Haitian migrants at the Texas border right now. Uh, some of whom have said that they've spent over two and a half months getting there. Uh, this is, for all intents and purposes, uh, an absolute crisis. Uh, what's going on here and what is the administration doing about this, guys? So I'm just going to say this is the third massive border crisis that we're having right now. Um you know, the first being, you know, refugees coming from Latin American uh, countries coming, uh, well, maybe two, the Haitians coming, and the third will be African refugees, right? And between all of these, there's probably at least 100 plus refugees that the U.S. has let in by now. 100,000. Wow. Yeah. yeah Didn't 100, you just said 100 plus? Oh, well, oh I meant 100,000 plus. Than 100. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely more no, than 100. No, but, I mean, this is something to really think about, here, yeah. right? We are uh, less than a year into Biden's presidency, and we've had three major refugee crises happen, right? So what's on the horizon here? What's going to be the next country? I, I mean, with, with Haiti right now, obviously, the country's in massive turmoil, right? You had a, a president who was assassinated. You had a 7.2 magnitude earthquake happen. You have gangs who have taken over the capital of their city. There's also been a, a massive amount of misinformation. At one point, there were uh, people were showing up to the U.S. Embassy in Haiti because someone was, it, it went out that uh, the U.S. was giving out free visas to go. And people literally came with their backs to the U.S. Embassy. You know, so, but now we have, 14,000 plus at our Texas border. I mean, it's, it's not a good look right now. I think also it's this, there's this real pattern of American like short-sightedness where we keep having these crises on our doorstep. But if you kind of just take a step back, they've all been 
perpetuated for years. And now we're just seeing the results. Like these Haitians didn't decide yesterday that they were going to come to the United States. Most of them didn't even decide a couple of weeks ago. Many of them, there's, you know, there's reporting saying that a lot of them were people who actually left Haiti after the 2010 earthquake and went to South America and now have made their way to the United States. Similar with, I mean, with Afghanistan, you look at, okay, we were there for 20 years basically create sort of setting up the stage for a refugee crisis that we're seeing now. And so I think that, you know, what I think about when I look at what's happening at the border, both when you saw immigrants from the Latin American countries, when you see people from Haiti, and even when you saw people trying to get out of Afghanistan, is that of the sort of plague of America is this short-sightedness where we only we only address things when they're right in front of us, as opposed to saying like, okay, we're making these decisions and how is that going to, you know, affect what's going on? I think that an example for stuff in Latin America and Haiti is like, when we talk about climate change, we should be talking about how climate change links to this, to why these immigrants are leaving their countries. They can't grow food anymore. And obviously that is only a very small piece of the argument and doesn't solve the problem we're seeing right now, but I think that we as Americans have a very hard time taking a holistic approach to things. We need to fix our border, though. I mean, I and both sides agree on this, is we have to have a better border control. I'm not saying it's the wall, but this is only going to get worse. And frankly, if I was president, I would lock all of Congress in the chambers and say, you guys are not leaving until you figure out a solution that we agree with. By the way, I, I love that idea. Let's yeah, also was, put a film yeah. crew in there and make it a reality show. Yes. hundred percent. I'm like, hey, <laughs> yeah. I'm giving you guys pizzas. I know you got bathrooms in there. <laughs> right. See you later. Good luck. Figure it out. You know, and well, Pelosi, you feel free to slap people around with that gavel if you need to. So, <laughs> <laughs> I just got a bad like image in my head. <laughs> the, the confessional in that reality show. Oh, so <laughs> oh my funny. God. Oh, being incredible. Like we got the american people might actually tune in keeping up with congress yeah but but if c by the way if c-span is looking for some ratings uh this is like a surefire way to to do it by the way we'll add kim kardashian to that group right yeah she's already gotten in with the executive branch presidential duty what i think is so interesting you know anna you mentioned like climate change is like a big root cause of of migration and i think you know not to sort of change the topic of immigration, but I think they're actually one and the same almost because, you know, you talk about like climate change as, you know, leading to uh, famine and drought and, you know, food uh, shortage. shortage. <laughs> Thank you. That's what they call it. Um, well, and, and, you know, this is really ultimately at the end of the day, a national security issue, right? And so, when we talk about, I hear a lot of national security experts talk about how climate change is a real national security threat, and yet that isn't often, you know, talked about when we talk about climate. Um, it is, of course, when we talk about immigration. And so I feel like, you know, if we were to galvanize the American people to focus more on the realities of climate and immigration from a national security lens. I feel like maybe there would be more of an appetite. Uh, and also possibly maybe change. more of a consensus. Cause right now it's right. like, you know, you right. had Elise Stefanik running an ad on Facebook that she got in hot water for that was basically sort of 
alluding to this like replacement theory, which is saying that Democrats want more illegal immigrants so that they can get more votes. And she sort of defended that saying, I'm talking about border security. And then you have, you know, Democrats saying, well, these people are seeking asylum. We need to let them in. So the, it's like Right. right now, everyone's just screaming about there's a crisis and here's my opinion, as opposed to let's talk about like all of the steps that this affects. And I think that what frustrates me the most about all of it is like when people are drafting legislation, I think that the news needs to be covering that. Like, let's try to get people to understand the process of how we try to tackle these things before they happen instead boring, of just covering boring, boring. but let's make it let's no. make it interesting like I, hey i'm i'm with you yeah. but like once again where are all of our media people just being like immigration what's yeah. happening with our border right. border 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 that's never happening and yeah. i also don't understand like we should just hold a press conference all we want to talk about is this yeah yeah never, never happening yeah. And it's honestly, I think, going to be a downfall for the U.S. if we don't secure our border in some way here. I mean, this is this is going to continue to happen, even if there's a Republican president, it's going yeah. to continue to happen. It did happen and under Trump. There was the it did happen. The yeah, no, and, but these states are going to start taking their own action. I mean, look at what's yeah. ha- happening right now. They have a steel barrier of police cars, basically. Right. You know, like what is That's going so on? Right. Yeah, it's, it, but yeah, I just, uh, and oh, I, I just want to, one last thing. Uh, thank you, the UN. They are disturbed by images. <laughs> thank you for oh, never doing oh, anything. Oh, gosh. UN. Appreciate, appreciate that comment from you. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think the only place harder to like corral consensus than Congress is perhaps the General Assembly. <laughs> but, Nice to know that they're monitoring the situation. Exactly. Um, well, we should uh, move on to our favorite uh, section of the week, the fuck you of the week. Uh, this has got to go to the one and only progressive superstar celebrity in the white dress with red lettering. Anna? Thank Take you. it away. I'm the, I'm the progressive celebrity <laughs> with a You're white dress. <laughs> Well, you know, um, yeah, of course, the if, the, if the shoe fits, if the shoe fits. <laughs> I mean, I'll take it, I guess. If, yeah. if, I, get, if I get to go to the Met Gala, yeah, call me whatever. You need thirty thousand um, dollars. Yeah, is that what it costs, or just an invite? Well, supposedly, but I doubt AOC paid for it. No, you wow. either get invited or no, of you course. Have to pay, Whoa, you have to she pay, didn't yeah. pay for that. Isn't that like? Uh, doesn't that go against? Oh my the god, whole thing? this is off topic. Okay. Oh no, <laughs> this is very much on topic. We I don't think. need to. We're not here to explain how the Met Gala works. We're here to talk. What about... What did her dress cost? There's no price on fashion. Oh <laughs> uh, wow. Um, uh, no, obviously we're talking about her dress the ultimate fuck you. And what I just want to say, and we'll be kind of quick here because, you know, one thing that the media has talked about at nauseam is this freaking dress. But so um, one of our amazing contributors, Greta Maggie, who is from Italy, wrote a piece on our blog that I thought made a very interesting point, which is that, you know, there are people who are out there saying that AOC did such a great thing. And, you know, she had this thing she posted of how search 
you know, searches for the phrase tax the rich spiked for the first, you know, spiked super high because of her dress. And then of course, on the other side of the aisle, you have people criticizing her saying, you know, she's playing into this sort of very like bougie event. And when she's claiming to be a woman of the people, but what I think what Greta said that I agree with that I'll just end this on is that AOC did what she did best and she got people to talk about her. Right. And right. that like, you know, if you're a Republican commentator who's talking about the dress, you're doing exactly what she wants she you wanted. to do. Right. And if you're a liberal commentator praising the dress, you're doing exactly what she wanted you to do. And I think that is why love her, hater. She is like a master of communication. She's a show. She's totally. a show woman. Yeah. I mean, totally. honestly, like she's, Ugh, and she has, but she's a show woman with intention behind it, whether or not you agree with that intention or not. It's I like, know, I know where you're going, Anthony. Go I there. Know. I was <laughs> Go there. Say, what I'm were you going to say? Steve are going to yeah. me for doing this. Do it, she's do like it. the Trump of the left. I mean, Got she's, it. she's anytime she walks into a room, she's making a statement. It's with anything that she's doing and slightly more attractive. I would argue. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I would I'll definitely give that. Yeah. I would definitely. concur. But she is yeah. the loudest person in the room on the left side, for sure. Yeah. And I thought what she did, phenomenal. Like she, everyone is complaining about it and whatnot. She got more press than any celebrity yeah. on that red carpet. So true. And I, I mean, I just. Right. Except I, maybe Kim Kardashian was with her weird, like. Even yeah, like people like were over that look. weird shit. Even, yeah. Everyone was over that. Like. It was just. They're like, oh, yes. Kim. Oh, that's weird. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think the one thing I do love about um, just maybe to like, we have Greta from Italy who's writing about this. I love to see a perspective from outside of the US. Yeah. And even with US politics in general. And I thought she nailed it in her write up on this. And right. um, I like, I always love to watch the BBC or anything. Al Jazeera, just to see what they're commenting on, what's happening in the U.S. Yeah, and I thought that was great on AOCs. So, we should move on to our next section. Any recs? What are we reading, listening to, watching, hearing? About? Okay, well, I I've been recommending this to so many people over <laughs> the last uh, last month, but I recently uh, fell in love with the podcast Smartless mm -hmm. and. So many people I talk to now feel like the world is kind of ending and whatnot. There's, you know, tell us what Smartless is. A Smartless. Also, tell is, us that the world isn't ending. Yeah, the world is not ending. And uh, I will say that in my soothing, raspy voice. <laughs> no, uh, but it, it is a podcast from uh, Sean Hayes, um, Jason Bateman, and Will Arnett. And they interview a bunch of their friends, celebrity friends, other people, but they are hilarious together. They don't do much politics, but they are just, their banter is amazing. I've never laughed out loud listening to a podcast. They crush it. Um, so if anyone's looking for a laugh. You don't laugh out loud when you listen to ours? Oh, I mean, yeah, but I mean, I'm not considering our pack, you know, what a awkward. <laughs> I'm kidding. Allison, they're much, they're can, much funnier than we are. Allison, you can add a laugh track in here, right? Yeah, exactly. Allison is our uh, podcast uh, editor. I've been telling you guys to listen to Smartless and you just haven't. I've listened to it. 
Anyway. Well, I'm being told by the control booth that it's time to move on. Is that your, uh, is the control booth of the podcast uh, your gut? Our <laughs> internal poll, yes. our internal pollster is Anthony's gut and our internal uh, control booth is yours. Correct. Yes. <sighs> That's it beautiful. stems from all my control issues. So uh, what did we learn this week? Who is one bit smarter? Um, I'll go first. So one thing that, God, you know, go. what? <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. Say this in like three sentences. So Haley, as many sentences as you want, Uh, Michael. Go for it, Michael. So Haley Stevens is a Democrat from Michigan, and the control booth is saying we're moving on. (laughs) Is this like the Emmys where you just start playing music? Um, So, so Haley Stevens, a Democrat from Michigan, she has introduced legislation that would designate September 17th as National Physician Suicide Awareness Month. And what I think is important about this little piece of news is that something that we're seeing a resurgence of right now, as there's more people ending up in the hospital because they're not vaccinated, is that there's again, this wave of burnout amongst doctors and nurses and healthcare administrators, et cetera. I mean, a friend of mine, her, I know I'm being long-winded here, Anthony, but I think this is important to say. Yeah, no, this is actually quite So is that a friend, so a friend of mine, her brother is an ER doctor and her sister-in-law is an infectious disease doctor and they're in Idaho where things are just really bad right now. And with COVID obviously, and um, otherwise beautiful state. And, and they're just reporting at like how, how bad it is. I think Idaho just went under some sort of state of emergency. I don't know exactly what it was called, but, but basically saying like, they don't have enough beds. They're turning away people who are going in to have cancerous tumors removed and open heart surgery. And there's so many doctors and other healthcare providers who have taken their own lives in the aftermath of their experience, you know, caring for COVID patients. And I think that Haley's bill to have a day commemorating those people, but also raising awareness of the fact that they're not just like machines, you know, they're humans that have to deal with this. And I don't know about you guys, but I certainly have friends who are doctors and I always am so in awe of their ability to function as normal people, um, given what they experience on a daily basis. And so with COVID that's only exponentially worse. And so I think this is just worth noting and hopefully, I mean, it's a bipartisan bicameral resolution. So hopefully we'll see that, um, enacted into being official soon. I I think what's so tough here too, is like doctors aren't supposed to be political, right? They're and and physicians, nurses, they've all got thrown into this whole political juggernaut thing that's going on. And that's not their job. Yeah. Right. And I, I feel I, my heart goes out to them. I can't even imagine what they've been going through for the last year and a half, almost going on two years now. Yeah. So it's terrible. I, I mean, I don't know if Michael had anything to add on that. Well, I, you know, of course he did. (laughs) Now that you asked, I, Oh, thank you so much for remembering me. Well, I I actually forgot someone else was, uh, someone else is here. (laughs) It uh, it segues into uh, my one bit smarter because it relates to COVID in that um, I learned about a new uh, scientific research lab testing thing. um, And that's how uh, technical I am about it. 
Uh, it's called gain of function research. And basically what it is, is it's like stress testing super microorganisms to see how they react to uh, like transmissibility and virulence of a disease, right? So this was going on the Wuhan laboratory where COVID, uh, what has now become COVID ground zero. And Mike Gallagher uh, of Wisconsin basically uh, put forth a bill uh, trying to suspend all U.S. Uh, uh, health department funding of this gain of function research, which the Intercept did a report where it found out that U.S. taxpayer funding actually was paying for this very research at the Wuhan lab where uh, COVID originated. So um, he's put forth a bill that uh, is putting a five-year halt on all taxpayer-funded uh, gain-of-function research. I just found it fascinating that this kind of stuff is going on. Um, yeah. I guess it's also a big whoops. Yeah. <laughs> it always is, right? Yeah. After money gets it's put like, into something. Right. Like, oh, it's like, no, oh, God. should have done that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Anthony, that are, are, are you uh, any smarter this week? No. Uh, uh, well, I, no, I, 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 I know everything, obviously. Um, no, but I would just say that one thing that was interesting that I read this week is Lee Zeldin, represent, he's a Republican from New York. He's actually the Republican nominee to uh, run for governor of New probably York. Probably will be the Republican nominee. No, I he, think I think official. he already, I think it's official. Oh, well. Um, anywho, um, he introduced legislation, bipartisan, uh, to designate 9-11 as a federal holiday. Mm. Oh, wow. Um, I, I mean, I think, hey, regardless of who you are, everyone, no every American would agree yeah. with this. My sort of like question of this though would, I feel like there's a lot of federal holidays that are now being instituted, you know, that will continue to be instituted. And at some point, like, which ones do companies give priority to and, and not? Yeah. So that's, I mean, I think what, I think that just on a personal note, like what I feel like would be really interesting. I was, I was reading something or this was, um, in, uh, one of the summaries this week that, um, there is Julia Letlow wrote this piece that like last week was the, was national constitution week or something like yeah. that. And basically what national constitution week is, it's not a holiday, but it's a week where schools and libraries are encouraged to educate students or people, at the you know, people coming to the library about the constitution. And so what could be interesting, I think is to, to sort of look at some of these federal holidays and say, okay, what is the actual goal of them and is yeah. there something that we can do as a country whether it's through public schools or whether it's through community organizations or whatever that can actually do what the holiday is meant to do which is like commemorate and educate people about yeah. this event so because national constitution week coincides with, with national grilled cheese week so. <laughs> oh i I'm love kidding. grilled cheeses <laughs> Any type of cheese. Every, Which is more important. Is a different type of cheese. <laughs> well, obviously grilled cheese is more important. Yeah. Um, but uh, what is what supersedes all of this is that you go to politicalplaylist.com, you sign up for a newsletter, you follow us on Instagram, and please, please, please not only write comments, uh, send us questions, 
but follow us and subscribe to this podcast. Thanks so much, guys.